0: I want to talk to you this morning exactly what the message of that song is why you should stay away from Jesus so if you're here this morning and Christianity is a half-hearted thing for you you come when you can when you're in the mood or maybe you're here to please your spouse or your family or you're rethinking the whole thing in general I'm glad that you're here because this message is for you and so I want to try to convince you based on what Jesus says in his word why you need to stay away unless you are fully committed Jesus has moved from the public nature of what opposition will look like to the private nature of this opposition. You know, it's one thing to proclaim your faith and receive persecution from outsiders, but when it's your own family who opposes you, can you live that faith out? That's the question that Jesus asks us in Matthew chapter 10 and beginning in verse 34. Listen to what he says. Do not think... That I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter in law against her mother in law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. reward. Why you should stay away from Jesus. You should stay away, first of all, because he's not always a peace-loving Jesus. Look at what he says in this passage. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, doesn't that sound so different and so contradictory to what the popular culture would have you believe about Jesus? That Jesus would never hurt you, that Jesus wants you to be happy, that Jesus wants to unify and say, why can't we all be friends? When the truth is, Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Later on, he's going to say to Peter, those who live by the sword die by the sword, so he's not talking about a, a physical weapon, but a spiritual divide. See, it's very easy for us to get around statements where Jesus says everyone ought to love each other, but when he says you've got to forsake your father or your mother, your son, or your daughter in order order to follow me, that's when the culture tunes him out. And the truth is Jesus is a lot more polarizing than what you would initially believe. He's a magnet. Either you are attracted to him or you are repelled by him. Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace, tells us that in order for that peace to come, there first has to be strife. And this strife has been stirring since the beginning. When Genesis chapter 3, God himself tells us that that serpent and the seed of the woman will have enmity, and the seed of the woman will one day crush the serpent's head. But before that happens, the serpent will bruise and attack his heel. And so all through the scripture, we have Pharaoh killing the firstborn, children, the males of the Israelites. We have Rachel weeping for her children because they they are no more. We have Herod slaughtering the innocents. All of this as a foreshadowing of the bruising that would come when Jesus Christ himself would take upon all that vileness of sin and break its curse so that we might have peace. It's peace, but it's a different kind of peace. It's not peace in the absence of conflict. It's actually peace in the everlasting sense. It's peace in the midst of strife. It's peace not yet fully realized. We see that with warfare, violence, and bloodshed all around us today. I like what Dorothy Sayers says when she talks about the offense of Christ. She says, I believe it to be a grave mistake to present Christianity as something charming and popular with no offense in it. We cannot blink the fact that gentle Jesus, meek and mild, was so stiff in his opinions and so inflammatory in his language that he was thrown out of church, stoned, hunted from place to place, and finally outcast as a firebrand and a public danger. Whatever his peace was... It was not the peace of an amiable indifference. Folks, there's no neutrality with Jesus. You can't abstain. You can't withhold. You can receive him or you can reject him, but you cannot ignore him. And if you cannot receive him, or if you're going to live half-hearted, he says you'd probably be better off to stay away unless you're willing to be committed because he's not always peace-loving. Second reason why you should stay away from Jesus is because your family will be divided. Look at verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You said, but I thought Jesus was pro-family. Well, he is. But only for those who follow him. And in fact, don't we read in later accounts that Jesus' own family initially rejected his message? That's why he says a prophet without honor is without honor in his own country. This becomes very personal for us. See, many like the message that Jesus gives, but don't want to commit and count the cost that Jesus demands. What happens when a father is divided against daughter, mother against son, knew a little bit uh, of this experience in my own family i 've told some of you this um, my dad 's father, my grandfather, um, who I knew as a as, as a good man, always fun to be around loved to love to joke. He always told me when I turned sixteen years old that he was going to give me this old jalopy of a car that he had sitting in his in his driveway. the thing wouldn 't go in reverse, and so when you when you drove it somewhere, you had to park uphill so that it could back up and it, it was just it was this old piece of machinery, basically, and he referred to it as the Titanic, because you could run something into it, and it would be just fine. He always told me I'd get that car when I turned 16. He didn't give it to me when I turned 16, and I'm very thankful that he did not. That was something that, that stayed with him. He was always fun to be around, but he struggled a lot, especially in his younger life with my dad and, and his siblings, with, with alcohol. And so there was always a tension going into the house between, between my father and his father, and kids can sense that. And when it came to matters of faith, this was especially so. I remember one day uh, when my grandfather had had a stroke, we went up to to Bardstown, Kentucky, where our family's originally from. Myself, my dad, and and my pastor, I was in the eighth grade at the time, but we went in the room, and we really didn't know how serious it was or or what his condition would be. And so my dad decided to try to share the gospel with him and just say, hey, make sure your faith is in Christ. Well, in the middle of all that, he asked us to leave the room. And so myself and my pastor, we, we walked outside the room. Dad stayed behind for a few more minutes. We got to the elevator. My pastor looked at me, and he said, you know, I think it would really be something if you go in there and you tell your grandfather that you would like to see him in heaven one day and that you tell him Christ. So I went back in there and told him, you know, I called him papo I said, papo I love you. I, I hope that you'll place your faith and trust in Christ don't know if he did or not. He died a few years later. This is what he's talking about. Father divided against mother. Family members being split up. He tells us to count these costs. And then he says, for this third reason why you should stay away from Jesus is because your greatest struggle won't come from the outside, but from the inside. Listen to this. And a person's enemies will be those of his own Household. My goodness. We know that a house divided against itself cannot stand. We have enough troubles from the outside, but now he says your greatest trouble is going to come from the inside. It is incredible to me how many Christians find themselves in a marriage situation without checking on the sincerity of the faith of their spouse. And, guys and girls, let me just ask you something. Those of you who are single, if the person you are dating right now does not love the Lord, what makes you think that one day they're going to seek to raise their children to love the Lord? It's unbelievable how we do this. And so divisions happen all the time just because of that. And we go out and we tell the world this is what marriage is when we're not even practicing it in our own dating, in our own Marriage. Listen, those of you who know this to be true, it's hard enough to live with a spouse who loves Jesus, much less to live with one who does not. He goes on beyond this. He says it's, it's even beyond spouses. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. In verse 37, that may mean living far away from them. That may mean disappointing them. How many parents have been disappointed because their children decided to go into vocational ministry? Their children decided to serve the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, this may be the hardest one. Listen to this, parents. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Can you imagine such a statement? Do you love your kids more than Jesus? He says, don't follow him if that's the case. The writers of the gospel get even more extreme. They say, if your love for God doesn't make your love for your family look like hate in comparison, then you have no part of Jesus. Do you know what it's like for a parent to be divided from their child over faith? Some of you know exactly what that's like. You've experienced it. David experienced this when he was on the throne. He experienced this against his son Absalom. And Absalom rebelled against him partly because of David's own doing, but partly because of Absalom's own sin. And Absalom raises an army, and David has to cry out when he hears that Absalom is gone, Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. His own child rebels against the faith that he possessed. Don't misunderstand me here. Listen, Jesus isn't telling you not to love your spouse. He's not telling you not to love your kids. He's not telling you not to love your family. Love your family. But your love for God has to be that much more. And he says, truly, if you understand love for God, you will love your family more. Because it all flows out of love for God. And the only way to love God is when you realize the depth of your sin and the price that Jesus paid. When you begin to see the glory of God all around you. He's given us some hard statements this morning. I appreciate you staying with me. He tells us that the peace will be different than we think it will be. He says your family will be divided. He says your greatest struggle will come from the inside rather than the outside. And the fourth reason why you need to consider staying away from him is because you'll be persecuted. Look in verse 38. This is what he says. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Look, this isn't a seeker-friendly on display at the end of Matthew 10. This isn't exactly a textbook course on how to win friends and influence people. Jewish people never could have connected their Messiah with Suffering that the lion of Judah would also be the lamb of God, that the expected Messiah comes in an unexpected way. To the Greeks, an offense. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And amid all of the busyness and distractions of life, how easy it is to forget about a carpenter from Nazareth who came solely to do the will of his father. That's difficult for us to remember. And I think there's something that's crept into the church of God today, and it's all around us. I think the church of God has sacrificed what it means to suffer upon the altar of entitlement. We come in here and we think we deserve things. Well, I need a nice car, or I need a nice house, or I need a better job, or I need more friends. And then we read passages like this and we remember that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Do you think you need more than Jesus? He calls us out on this, and he gets to the heart of the matter, and he says, why are you setting your affection on things that are not above? Why are you setting your affection on temporary things when there's an eternal weight of glory there for you? George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, gave an interview a few years back on why he thought Darth Vader turned to the dark side and... George Lucas is not a believer. He's into New Age stuff, much like many people in the world today. But here's what Lucas said about why he thought that Darth Vader, his most famous or infamous character, turned over. He said because he gets attached to things. He can't let go of his mother. He can't let go of his girlfriend. He can't let go of things. It makes you greedy. And when you're greedy, you are on the path to the dark side because you fear you're going to lose things that you're not going to have the power that you need. That guy's not a believer, but he could have just as easily been talking to our church. Even the way that we wear Christian emblems, you know, I I have yet to see an execution chair hanging around someone's neck or sticking out in someone's yard. Nobody says, take up your execution chair. And yet, when Jesus says, take your cross, that's exactly what the Romans and the culture of the day would have had in mind. It was an insult. It was something to be put on someone who was worthy of humiliation and deserving of that. And Jesus takes that. And oftentimes, we're a lot better at wearing that cross than we are bearing that cross. This is what Thomas Kempis says about following Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus has many who love his kingdom in heaven, but few who bear his cross He has many who desire comfort, but few who desire suffering. He finds many to share his feast, but few his fasting. All desire to rejoice with him, but few are willing to suffer for his sake. Many follow Jesus to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of his passion. Many admire his miracles, but few follow him in the humiliation of the cross." when the national space shuttles were still operating in existence, they have a flight term that's called the, the point of negative return. And what that is, is the point of which the, the space shuttle has launched and cannot go back in the countdown. Pilots also have this in jets and, and airplanes. There's a point of which you pick up enough speed down the runway where you have to either decide, am I going to take off or am I going to back out? Because in that split second decision, You choose the other thing, you likely lose your life. That's what he says it is to be a believer in Christ. It's this point of no return. Either I'm following Jesus or I'm not. We sing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. What are the last words? No turning back. No turning back. Because the only way to find your life is to lose it in Christ. He lays out pretty clearly why we should not follow Jesus. And I want to tell you something. You need to count the cost. Don't think, well, of course I should follow Jesus. The Bible tells me to. Yes. But the Bible also gives you fair warning about what will happen when you do. And I think a lot of people come to Jesus wanting to go to heaven when they die, but not counting the cost of repentance and faith. I would not be a gospel preacher if I simply told you why you should stay away from Jesus. I want to tell you why you should come to Jesus. And this is what he says. Because you will be received. Look at verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He that receiveth me, listen to this, he that receiveth me, he that receiveth me, I will in no wise cast out. Are there more comforting words in the Bible? He that receiveth me, I will in no wise cast out. Somebody said, that's the struggle that we face. One writer said, I can say that I never knew what joy was like until I gave up pursuing happiness or cared to live until I chose to die. For these two discoveries, I am beholden to Jesus. It's the same thing with the cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, in a world where success is the measure and justification of all things, the figure of him who was sentenced and crucified remains a stranger. What the world despises as shame. Jesus turns right around and despises as insignificant. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because he considered it greater To serve God than to give into the world for the joy that was set before Him. Here's the flip side of that it will be the greatest challenge you will ever face, but it will also be the greatest joy you will ever face. Do you know of communion with God? Do you spend time in His Word where He speaks to you and He reminds you that you are His child and in the midst of a thousand different tribulations, God is interceding on your behalf through His Son. There is a joy for those who know Him, that He will never leave you and will never forsake you and that He is working all things together for good. And He says, if you will come to Him in repentance and faith, you will be received You will not be cast out. And he says, finally, not only will you be received, but you'll be rewarded. Look in verse 41. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. So if you receive others in the name of God, you'll be receiving Jesus. And then verse 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. It's a change of my mind, but it's also a change of my heart when I realize that everything I do can give glory to God. That in my conversation, that in my work that in everything my hobbies my rest my play all of it can give glory to god all of it can be used on his behalf and if we knew of the glories of god and if we experienced him oh we wouldn't desire the things of the world like we do he gives us this promise he tells us in a midst of a world that is rapidly changing fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom To consider Jesus Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Listen, you may lose your trophies, they may be collecting dust. You may lose your retirement because the stock market crashes or because a company treats you wrong. You may lose everything you own or everything you possess or everything you hold dear in this life, but you will by no means in Christ lose your reward. That's what he says earlier on. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust will corrupt it. Thieves will break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Can I say something to you? This is not in the the sermon notes, so this is here. I love you, and I'm so thankful to be a part of of this church. You've been so dear to me. But sometimes I sense here in this room that many of us are half-hearted in our devotion to faith. We'll show up Every once in a while, when it fits into our schedule, we'll even participate sometimes when big events happens. But when it comes to following God on a daily basis, day in and day out, my fear is that many of us don't even know what that's like. And he's calling us to count this cost. If you're not serving God, if you're not following him with your whole heart, why is that? And you can say, well, my church just isn't there for me or my pastor doesn't preach messages like I want him to or the people just aren't friendly enough. You can say all of those things, but I would remind you that Judas was around the greatest preacher and pastor and friends who ever lived and he turned away from the gospel. Best church, best preacher, best pastor. And he turned away. This has to be something for you. This has to be a personal commitment on your behalf to say, either I'm committed to Christ or I'm not. And I'll just tell you this, if you do not commit to Christ, you will live the rest of your life regretting it. But if you do commit to Christ, you will never, ever, ever regret it. And so he tells you why you should stay away, but he also tells you why you should come. The one who comes to me will in no wise be cast out. I want us to bow our heads and I want us to really consider this morning where we are before the Lord. You know, there's a danger for us to become distracted. There's also a danger for us when we move away from the grace of God, and it's not at the very center of our life, that we can think that we deserve what we have in life. And Jesus constantly reminds us that everything that we have is solely by His grace. That we deserve. We are entitled to nothing at all. But yet Jesus Christ left His throne of heaven that we might freely receive all things and the question for us this morning is will we commit to Christ hey guys thanks so much for listening to the broadcast if you found it helpful please consider sharing it with your family and friends for more information check us out online at barryefields.com